0: Good evening, and welcome to Weird Mountain, where the men are tough and the sheep are scared. I'm Gomez the yard man. While the gals are busy doing whatever it is witches is do this time of year, I thought I'd take a moment to let you know how much we all appreciate you listening to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I also wanted to let you know that things can sometimes get a little strange up on Weird Mountain, especially this time of year. The veil, she's very thin. What you're about to hear are stories, but are they just stories? The gals say no. Decide for yourself. But don't say I didn't warn you.
1: (laughs) Have you seen a lot of true poltergeist activity?
2: No. I have seen a lot of true unhappy people living with people that they don't want to be living with and making everybody's life miserable energetically. But no, I have not seen in my entire life. I'm gonna knock on wood. Real genuine poltergeist activity.
1: Okay. And how lem- about you? Poltergeist activity. It's usually when people will call about it. They'll be. It's associated with children, you know. Uh huh. And I tend to think that. well, I was trying to think if I ever had a real example of a poltergeist. And I don't think so. I think most of the time when I get a call and there's a child involved and some sort of paranormal activity or something they don't understand, it usually has a lot to do with the next generation up, like the grandparents or the grandma, the aunt or something like that. And the child will have some natural talent that the parents deny.
2: Yes, that is true. And that's why I say, you know, it's it's. It's useful and often immature energy. Yeah. yeah. And they don't know how best to express their dissatisfaction or their fear mm-hmm. in a situation, or they may have been rendered voiceless because of the way the family dynamics are. Right. But as far as a malevolent spirit like that, no, I've never encountered it.
1: That attaches itself to a child and, nope. and starts doing weird things.
2: Nope, never have. Have you? My mom
1: said when we were first moving into the house that there was a child in the basement.
2: Oh, right. You are supposed to put a ball yeah. down there. Put
1: some toys down there. And I don't know what to say about that because I kind of felt like she was right.
2: Yes, but was it male- malevolent? Was no. it disruptive?
1: No, it it wasn't, but that's probably the closest that we've come to it. But this conversation makes me wonder if this is my quandary. That house was so active for so long, and then it just started settling down. And I wonder if it was the house or if I was bringing it on. And I've asked that question ever, you know, all my life. What's the cause of this? Am I the one that's causing this to happen? Because I don't see other people having this stuff to worry about.
2: Oh, but other people just may not have the language to talk about it like you do.
1: That could be. And it could also be that it, it, it does happen to everybody, but not everybody notices.
2: That's a good point. I, love it.
1: I use the word ken, K-E-N, quite yeah. often because yeah. it's a better word to me than observe. But when you kin something, not only do you observe it, but you also take it in and feel it. Yeah. So so that's how
2: sometimes on a nonverbal level.
1: Right. Right. And that's how dowsers do it. They can. They don't they don't say I'm going to walk around and observe and find a line of energy. Never. They just go and absorb and learn and they just kind of turn into a listening rod, if you will. You said canning and I was thinking canning. Do you have any ghost canning stories? Any mason jar ghosts?
2: I do not have any ghost ghost in the mason jar stories. Ghost That'd be a good story though, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, it would. We're gonna have to think about that one. <laughs> Yet another project for Weird Mountain, some sort of you know, children's book.
2: <laughs> well, or we can have uh we can have a couple of canning mason jar ghost stories in our cookbook. Oh, <laughs> Yes. Just to keep everything spicy. Yes,
3: we should.
2: <laughs> okay, let's do
1: it. I can't wait to get that cookbook project uh, you know, really underway.
2: Yeah, me too. It's
1: going to be fun. It's only going to be project number 692B for you. Uh,
2: yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, and then, now I'm working on my Appalachia book that I've been putting off now since that other book came out a million years ago three years ago, whatever it was. So I need to, you know, I'm, I'm serious about that now. Serious, but still, this is the season where I can't be serious about really anything.
1: Well, you deserve to have a holiday season like anybody else.
2: Well, that's the funny thing about being who I am. It's that this is not a holiday for me. This is working time.
1: Right, right. In the hotel business, we worked every weekend and we knew that every holiday, We'd be working, and yeah. and that was the thing: is uh, if when everybody else wanted to be off and have fun, we knew we would be working.
2: Well, yeah, you, know, you know, I worked in a bookstore for a decade, I guess. Yeah, and people would say, "Oh, it's getting to be Christmas. I just love that." And I'd be like, "Ah, long days, sore feet,
1: rude people."
2: Well, we were really lucky because we didn't have a whole lot of rude people. Oh. We had people that needed a lot of help because we had a big chunk of our client base were people who were grandparents Mm -hmm. and they had retired here, but their grandchildren were somewhere else. So they weren't, you know, they didn't wanna just send a gift card or a check, but they didn't really know their grandkids that much. Mm -hmm. So it was always tricky to, but tricky, but also a lot of fun To have them describe the children and then find books for them Mm. and then hear back that those were exactly the kids, exactly what they wanted. So that was always nice. We didn't have too many rude customers. Well, you were lucky. (laughs) Very lucky. We
1: actually, we didn't either. I got to say the vast majority of people who walked in the door were fine. And if they weren't fine, they were handled correctly and they were fine afterwards.
2: Yeah, but yeah.
1: When you work with the public, it doesn't matter what position you have. A certain percentage of people are just not going to be happy no matter what.
2: Right, and that's just the, that's the human condition for a lot of people. No matter how well their lives go, they're not happy. Yeah, that's true. So I have to wonder when we're talking about spirits and spirits that remain, how many of those spirits are people who were so dissatisfied with life And now they're just still, they're still hanging around, griping about it.
1: It does make you wonder.
2: Yeah, they're still griping.
1: Well, I went to a place one time and and the general impression that I got was that the fellow who had lived there was afraid of everything. And after he moved on, he just didn't move on because he was afraid of everything. So he, he would just stay right there. That's where he wanted to be.
2: Oh, that is sad.
1: It is. It well, is. Well,
2: unless you know, that's where he wanted to be, and that's where he was comfortable, and so yeah, that's where he determined to stay.
1: Well, it makes you wonder because the word that I was looking for the other day, and I couldn't remember it, was anthropomorphize. Mm-hmm. So I have to be very careful because I, I'm a human, and I have things that I want, and I have agendas, and so does everyone. OK, so I have to be very careful to not anthropomorphize when it's a paranormal situation or when somebody's asked me to come in and help them. I need to make sure that it's not just me wanting it to be this outcome, that what I'm telling them is really a truthful observation or if what I'm learning or telling myself is a truthful observation. That is the hardest thing.
2: Except that it, it is okay to anthropomorphize a spirit that used to be a human, used to be a physical human, because they already are human. I think the problem comes when we try to anthropomorphize spirit beings because we want them to look like us, uh-huh. and then they don't. They don't have a, a form, or we're trying to force them into a, into a form that was never theirs because it makes us more comfortable. That's interesting. We see that a lot with with depictions of land spirits.
1: Yeah, talk a little bit about some yeah, land spirits.
2: I I will tell a story on my daughter that I just got off the phone with right before we started. When she was, I don't know what age, young, younger, we went to see a movie about fairies. She got all bowed up at the very beginning. As soon as they started showing fairies in this movie, she got all bowed up. And she said, that's not what they look like. And I said, well, no, honey, I know. But that's this is like the it's like a cultural icon of what a fairy is. And then different people see them different ways. And she said, well, but this is just a lie because they don't look like that. Now, how old was she? Maybe eight or nine, something like that.
1: Wow. I I love children that age because they haven't quite learned, you know, what's proper to say and what's not
2: that you mean they don't have filters yes correct no, no filters <laughs> <laughs> and she still if i mentioned that movie to her that that uh, experience is still very much with her hmm. and she goes oh no that was just stupid it was just stupid that they would portray them that way well, so <laughs> that's very yes you can be you can be super opinionated about that as my daughter is but but i've gotten that way too about not only land spirits but sort of the larger spirits of place, that we want to make them look adorable and we want to make sure everybody knows that they're not scary. And we are doing ourselves and our cultures disservices by doing that.
1: I do believe that you're right
2: about that. And that these beings, in fact, when I write about it and teach about it, I talk about Ghosts and non-human spirit beings, because yes, uh, ghosts in some way are easier to understand because well, they used to be people.
1: Right, they used to have a physical body and they were part of this species. You're yeah,
2: talking. and so they they may be behaving out of character for who they were. If you knew who they were, they may be acting in a way that feels aberrant to us. Mm-hmm. But they they ultimately we're going to kind of understand them because because like you just said we're the same species right but these other spirit beings that we work with and that are around us they they do not necessarily wish us well mm-hmm. they are not our servants they right. um, they can be incredibly helpful if we behave how we should behave but. It is never a good idea to go into working with any kind of spirits, assuming that you're the boss.
1: Thank you. I was just going to mention something along those lines. People, I think, get themselves in trouble because they expect the spirits to do their bidding. Yes. And it's like, you know what? I believe in you know, following your practice, do your daily work and all of that. But they're not they're not necessarily around just to do your bidding. However, the spirits that used to be human, especially your close ancestors and friends, they may love you and choose to. OK, now, any of them might love to and choose to. Wouldn't you say? But oh,
2: yeah, absolutely.
1: But um, they, they're not there to do your bidding.
2: No, you are not the boss of them. And if you go into it thinking you are, and there's a lot of people that will fight me on that because they are ceremonial magicians and that's what they do. They go in and boss spirits around. Well, that has never been something that I thought was workable in the long term. Because yeah. the way you the way you are the way you work with anything, whether it is material or or spirit is that you establish a relationship. Exactly, thank you very much. And yeah. how do you do that?
1: Well, you do it regularly.
2: Well, you and you, you. the same way you establish your relationship with humans. Humans, yeah. Is that you, you listen, you observe, you get to know the likes and the dislikes. You just, you do all that stuff that you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you take it slow. I am the mighty wizard, and I am going to tell you what to do. I mean, that may work for some people. never been a long-term solution in my world.
1: And let me say, too, that from what I've noticed, they're beyond words. They're beyond words. Words are there for us. It's just like the keyboard is there for the human. The computer is a computer with or without it. And, and so words are our graphical user, our GUI, our GUI. I believe that we are more transparent in our intentions. And so we have to be careful, uh, very careful that our words and our intentions match. Uh huh. Because yes. if you consistently are not that way, then guess what? <laughs> not only are you not going to, have any progress, but you might even piss somebody off.
2: Well, the whole point of that is to be someone that can be trusted.
1: Exactly. Because well your can... words and your intentions have exactly.
2: to matter. Exactly.
1: So I don't want to tell anybody what their intentions should be, but that's my that's that's a point that I like to make sometimes.
2: I remember it's been several years ago now that a colleague of mine we were in a, I don't know, it was a Facebook group or some kind of, you know, e-group. And she had posted this little spell thing that was all sort of rhymed couplets and bossing people around. And that was how you were supposed to be able to to conjure this particular kind of being. And I just laughed. (laughs) And I said, well, why would you think you would have to go to all that trouble do you, do you think they're only gonna to come to a rhymed couplet? Are you <laughs> conjuring <laughs> Shakespeare? What are you doing? And, and she took it amiss, uh, as she often does with things. She took it amiss and she said, well, what would you do? And I said, well, I, I don't know. I've never thought about that, but I guess here's what I'd do. I'd find out what the culture that that being comes from, where it is most honored. And I would find out what they like to eat and I would set up a little place with some of that yummy food on it, and I would offer hospitality and see what happened, Mm -hmm. and she said, well, they're not going to come for that, so you know me, of course, I've got to do exactly that, (laughs) and so I ended up having a very interesting experience with a, a spirit not part of my culture, and so it was really tricky to just hang out and to sort of feel to intuit how everything was going mm-hmm. and I had a couple of missteps where mm-hmm. it did not go well and but ultimately that had worked because I found out that in that culture they loved dates and figs and honey and so that's what I offered and then I did not do the next step which I I invite all of our uh, listening audience to do if they decide to do this, which is to find out what they did not like in that culture and to make sure you don't offer that accidentally, (laughs) which I did and got a little smack for that one. But (laughs) I think working in the spirit world is really important, but I think for an awful lot of humans, we're just too arrogant to do that in a way that is effective.
1: Well, it's not just arrogance. It is how we've been trained through our life you know we were talking about children and how magical they are it's because they haven't been taught yet that they shouldn't see this or shouldn't talk about this or bloody body. there's something wrong with you because nobody else is talking about it mm-hmm. kind of thing and you know i've got to say that i think that that's just a standard that we should always work by is to try and have the eyes of a child Mm-hmm. when we come to things like this and the other thought that occurred to me when you were talking about this was you were inviting the spirit so of course a good a good hostess if you will is gonna to attempt to find out what what their guest would like or not like
2: and, yeah, inviting exactly. and
1: that was exactly. that's, you, that's and that's what you do and you do it with respect and otherwise it's just I wouldn't want to go somewhere that I thought that I was just going to have to do somebody's bidding. Would you?
2: No, Uh, no, I would not (laughs) actually. And I can't imagine any other spirit beings would, Mm -hmm. except that I know there are like helper spirits Mm -hmm. that really like to be called on to help. But again, that's not being called. That's not being ordered to obey. Right. That's saying I have a particular problem and I understand that you are good at solving that problem and I mean it's the same way you work with ancestors mm-hmm. I'm doing a class tonight on ancestor veneration and part of what I'm going to be talking about is those those problematical ancestors that you know how awful they were mm-hmm. some of those are the very ones you need to go to when you're in an awful situation because they know how to get out of anything
1: hmm boy that's interesting Byron
2: I know. Well, a lot of people don't believe it. And I, when I'm talking about ancestor stuff, I never suggest that you start with your worst ancestor because <laughs> it will not go well.
1: <laughs> well, and they're going to carry certain characteristics with them. So if yeah. you were a bully in with a physical body, then maybe they're a bully in the spirit life too. You well, know, you really yeah, want to get, that could be dealt with in a good way or you, know, you know, that's, that's, that's a private decision that people make. It's the same way, you know, you've known humans that lied. (laughs) and So what do you think is going to happen if they don't have a physical body, but you're trying to deal with them? Can you expect them to all of a sudden not have the same characteristics? But we're also talking about something that very few people are ever going to deal with. Wouldn't you agree?
2: What, dealing with spirits?
1: In this way, yeah. I
2: think I think more and more people are going to be doing that. More and more people are being called to it. Because the spirit world has the answers to some questions that we are not getting the answers to.
1: They have a bigger picture, for sure.
2: They do. They mm-hmm. absolutely do. And they have. they live more in what I always call geologic time.
1: Well, there's the question of linear time, too.
2: Well, I don't believe in linear time. I know we're supposed to, but I don't.
1: Well, you're no. honest to it as long as you have a physical body. You have, no, you're not. You, your physical body is. No, it isn't. Okay.
2: <laughs> I'm waiting. Because time is, as far as I'm concerned, time is cyclical. So right now we are at the end of October. Right. And a year from now, we're going to be at the end of October again.
1: Right. But we're not going to go from this October to last June. Are we not? No, we're not going to be from this October back to biblical times or something.
2: I don't know. I don't know that that's not true.
1: I think that without the physical body, time is a different situation. You know, without the physical body, you're able to, to move around in time as well as in geography. Although saying that, humans always try and trap things into places that they understand. You know, one of the first things that humans did, it was try and figure out how much a soul weighed. Did you know that? Yep. And they continue to do it to this day, to this day. And I think that the the most widely accepted study happened in 1947 or so uh, in Europe, and, and they weighed a soul and found out how, mu- how much it weighed exactly. and that kind of carried forward into air quote modern medicine, although you know physical science people will say that's bullshit. but basically <laughs> basically what they would do is they would have the exact time of death and they would have a, a scale and they just they just literally measured the exact time of death, the weight, and then they came back and measured the weight again and they figured out how much, and somehow, I don't know, there were some other gross details that I won't go into, but um, yes. Well, was,
2: I mean, that sounds like that stuff where they used to try to figure out how many angels could dance on the head of a pen. <laughs> it's like, who cares how much the soul weighs?
1: A lot of people care about stuff hey, like that because they want better. to make a link between uh, the physical and mystic. That's, that's a lot of people want that interpretation. They need some way to relate. They, but they, I
2: don't know uh, why they can't know that the physical and the metaphysical and the spiritual are all woven together. Why do they have to know how much it weighs? That's well, just they, crazy. Because I don't even care how much I weigh. Well,
1: yeah, I'm just saying that's just one thing.
2: People get hung
1: up on all kinds of different points. But you have a group of people who really like to relate and that's the paranormal crowd that I ran with for a long time. You know, they really want a way to relate uh, that, that mystical to the physical. To them, that's how you prove the mystical exists. And it's like, really? You can experience something time and time and time again? And you can't, for your own self, make a decision that you actually experience that? <laughs> and the answer is, yeah, no, they can't.
2: I don't know. It just feels like weird science to me. Like, okay.
1: It is weird science.
2: It's all, it's all, you know,
1: it's all a head trip. That's, I mean, we're, we do, uh, we do things to ourselves and we're our own worst enemy about a lot of things and people who have a cerebral orientation who live in their head and they're smart and they can, think and they you know a lot of them are scattered because of it those yeah. those people just get hung up and get into all kinds of crazy mental loops and then I, there are people who are so curious
2: I think it's because they're too much in their heads and not enough in their bodies.
1: Well that's exactly what it is. But it's it's also a matter of how do how are they raised?
2: Oh well of course
1: their situation what is their natural demeanor are they naturally happy are they naturally inquisitive i know someone who actually dreams vivid dreams every night but the dreams are of that person's work and they're always they're always building something and doing something and and that's it it's like that's it that's literally all they do in their dreams and they do it every single night it's like wow
2: well i can remember we went uh blueberry picking golly 30 years ago with my cousin bosie um me and and my husband and he said the next day that he dreamed he closed his eyes He could see before him blueberry bushes. and I think he dreamed of picking blueberries that night because we had picked a lot of blueberries.
1: Well, sure. That's a flushing dream. Mm -hmm. You see? A flushing dream. And everybody has them. And the the whole process of the flushing thing is so interesting. Well, it's
2: your subconscious trying to get rid of stuff that seemed really, really important at the time, but actually isn't.
1: Well, that's one theory and that's a very accepted theory about it and then there's another theory that says it's not flushing it's reorganizing because our brains are so big and have so much storage potential we can literally remember every single thing so that is another theory altogether and it's a fascinating one